Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We are almost done with the series on belonging. We are also almost done as far as becoming, belonging, and all that kind of stuff goes. So just one more time before the month is over, please do me a favor and turn to somebody besides you and say to them, you belong here. Can somebody please tell Brother Sutasa he belongs here? He's got nobody on his row. Turn to somebody else and say to them, I belong here. You see, what makes you belong here is not about church membership. It's about having your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. All the worship services, the arrangement of chairs, the cameras, and the worship singers, and the special song, it's all intended to remind us that our one assignment is to have our name in the Lamb's book of life. Not the church record, not the marriage registry at the government, not your name at immigration, in the book of heaven is your name written there. That's what it means to belong. This month we've been twisting it a little bit by saying to you, we want us to remember that God has called us to belong without becoming. Because this idea that we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth doesn't mean we don't belong here. Just because you are a Christian, just because you believe in the second coming of Jesus, just because you believe that the Bible, the scriptures, are the rule by which you should live, doesn't mean you are better than the people outside. You belong where you are, the job that you have the neighborhood you call home, the, 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 the nationality that God has given you. You belong in that place. The trick is to not become, is to maintain your faith, your identity in Christ wherever you are. Because who you are only matters when you are connected with Jesus. If this is what you believe, let me hear you say amen. amen. The issue of identity is huge in this generation. And so... We want to belong without becoming. We live in this uh, blue ball that is floating through, through space at the will of God. But there's something interesting about belief in God. There's something interesting about being a Christian. One of the hardest things is to explain to people why things happen to them the way they happen. There's a concept in the scriptures that I want to share with you before we read a text. Let me begin with a statement. In all these different countries of the world, all these different cities, all these different places where people call home, whether it's Africa, whether it's the Middle East, whether it's Europe, whether it's Asia or the Americas, North or South, each and every one of those people has a role to play in God's kingdom. That doesn't mean they are Christians. Because as I'm going to demonstrate today, God never works the way he thinks you think he does. God is always at work. He leaves fingerprints. If God was on trial and evidence was brought against him, it would be discovered that everything that has happened in your life, God has been guilty of being a part of it. God is so powerful, he can use good things and bad things. He can use good health, he can use sickness. He can use friends, he can use enemies. He can use abundance, he can use scarcity. He can use you in a crowd, he can use you alone. He can use somebody else. He can use a street kid, he can use a president. God can use anybody. 
All he is looking for are those that are willing to be used. Daniel was willing. Joseph was willing. Mary was willing. Deborah was willing. All these people we read about, the difference between you and them is simply this. They were willing. And so they operated in environments that were hostile, that were foreign, but God made them prosper because they understood even if God is not mentioned, he is always working. Let me put it another way. The scriptures teach what is known as God's sovereign silence or God's silent sovereignty. In other words, God is the type of universal CEO who doesn't lead from the front. He leads from the shadows. God doesn't have to announce himself whenever he does something. He doesn't need the credit. He doesn't need to be announced. He doesn't need somebody to stand up here and introduce him and talk about his record as creator and redeemer to walk in. No, God doesn't care about that. God operates in silence and in secrecy. So when you come to me and ask, Pastor, why did God allow this to happen? I honestly don't know. But he does. There are two books in the Bible where God's name is not mentioned at all. In fact, the one book is Song of Solomon. The other book is the book of Esther. God is not mentioned at all. In fact, the reformer Martin Luther had a problem with the book of Esther. He felt it should not have been in the canon because God's names do not show up. No Lord, no Jehovah, nothing. But we see his fingerprints. We're going to talk about Esther today. Esther was not a warrior princess. She was not good with a sword. Esther was not a protester. In fact, Esther had to hide who she was the whole time she was in the palace in Persia. Esther was anonymous until she was not. I want to tell you about this young lady. She is remarkable because she lived at a time, you know the stuff that women accuse men of today? It was true back then. Today, Esther was a Jew. In fact, Esther's story takes place in the next generation after Daniel. The son of Darius is the king in Persia at this time. Under his rulership, the kingdom of Persia has extended all the way from Ethiopia to India. He is so powerful that he calls a summit for six months. When you read Esther chapter 1 verse 1, it tells you that Ahasuerus or Xerxes was in his third year of power and he called together a feast that lasted not for 18 hours, not for 18 days, but for 180 days. This is not Coachella for 180 days. This is a summit. When you study history, Herod Herodotus, a Greek historian, tells you the reason he called this summit or this festival is because the Greeks were starting to attack the Persian army. And the Greeks had attacked him so much that his pride is wounded. And so he calls all the princes and governors and mayors to come to Shushan for this 180-day feast festival to plan how to defeat the Greeks. The name you are looking at is Esther, but I'm talking politics. Because your individual life is lived in the context of the politics around you. You can pretend not to care who's going to be president, but it affects you. You can pretend not to care who the Minister of Finance is, but you're going to have to pay some taxes. 
So I want you to understand the geographical, the geopolitical environment that Esther is called to function. Xerxes holds a summit for 180 days. At the end of those 180 days, he decides to create a feast. Now this is a party that would last for seven days. The men and the women are separated. Uh, pause. By the way, that is a bad idea. I'm always uncomfortable when we go for church activities and I see the ladies by themselves and I'm with the guys. I'm always looking at my wife and say, what is she telling them? What are they talking about? For seven days, the women are on one side and the men are on the other. And if you look at the location of the palace today, according to the ruins, you will discover that the wall was big. And so Xerxes is together with his men, with their side chicks and their side wives, because one wasn't enough for some reason, and they're drunk. And like any man, he has expressed his power politically. He has demonstrated how much money he has and how many soldiers he has to attack the Greeks. But there's always one thing left for a man to do, and that is to parade his wife. And so the Bible says, being drunk, he calls one of his servants and he says to him, go call Queen Vashti to come here so that I can parade her in front of all these men so that they can see how beautiful she is. Mistake number two. Mistake number one is holding a party and allowing the women to be on one side getting high on Chardonnay and the men are over here getting high on whiskey. Mistake number two, he doesn't go himself. He sends a servant to call the queen. Servants in those days were not like servants today. Servants today, they, they know how to make the message sound more polite. But in those days, you had to say what the king said. And the king said, ma'am, the king said, please put on your crown and come over to the place where the men are so that he can parade your beauty. Not your brains, your beauty. Now, I don't know women as much as I should. I'm married to one. I can testify to that. But what I do know is when women are together like men, we tend to lie to each other. When we're together with men, oh, I'm the man of my house. When I get home, she brings me my slippers. She makes sure that food is ready. She makes sure that my clothes are ready when I leave for work in the morning. I'm the man of my house. On the other side, the woman is saying, huh, honey, he makes more money than I do, but I run him. I choose his clothes. I choose who he talks to. I choose where he goes to. And all of a sudden, a servant comes and says, your husband said, come over here and parade yourself in that nice outfit that Gucci made for you for this feast festival. The queen looks at her friends and like, mm-hmm. And she says, no, I'm not going. I'm talking about Esther, but I want you to understand the environment that Esther lived in. The king is told what she has done, and his advisors come to him and say, Oh, king, if you let the queen disrespect you, every single wife in the city, every single wife in the province is going to disrespect their husband. You need to check your wife. And so the king decides, she is old. I need a new one. And she is fired as queen of the kingdom. And so he carries out what I call the bachelor but not really reality show. They gather all the young virgins in the province so that he can pick a wife. And for one year, they go through a makeover. You guys are thinking that I'm talking about a Netflix show. I'm talking about what's in the scriptures. 
For one year, they're taught how to conduct themselves in the royal court. For one year, their look is changed. The, 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 the hairs in the nostrils are removed. The hairstyle is changed and the posture and how she walks and how she talks. She's prepared for one night with the king. For one year, they go through a makeover so that he can swipe left and swipe right. Four things would happen when you came and spent the night with the king. Talk about feminism under attack. Four things could happen if you spent the night with the king. If you didn't satisfy him and he was not happy with you, you were dismissed. But even though you were dismissed, you were not allowed to date or marry a man until you died. You would not become his side chick. You would not become one of his wives or the main wife. You were sent home, but never ever to be married. Second thing that could happen, you satisfy him, but he's not happy with everything about you. So he can keep you as part of his harem, but you're not one of his wives. The third thing that could happen, you could become one of three main wives in the kingdom. But the fourth thing that could happen, you could become the head wife that controls everything. Guess which one Esther became? Esther is raised by her cousin because her parents have died. And so her cousin Mordecai, being much older and more responsible, takes her in and becomes her foster parent. She's beautiful, the Bible says. Beautiful enough to be selected as one of these virgins that would be forced to marry this man. Mordecai tells her, don't tell him you are a Jew, but go ahead. She wins this competition and wins the king's heart, and she becomes the queen of Persia. I want you to see the hand of God. The king holds a feast, gets drunk, invites his wife. She says no. The king gets upset, decides that he's going to replace her with somebody else. And it just so happens, out of all the probabilities, the smallest tribe of people in the kingdom happens to be the Jews. And they happen to contribute the next queen that would be by the side of a man who's in charge of a kingdom that extends from India all the way to Ethiopia. She gets that. Because you see, when God wants to fix something in 2030, he starts working in the year 2011. He starts to move things around, making sure that you attend the right school and live in the right neighborhood and have the right friends and have the right job in the right department, in the right area. And sometimes God will use the way you look. Esther was not chosen because she was smart. She was chosen because she was beautiful. Amen. Uh, being pretty, sometimes God can use that. Being handsome, sometimes God can use that. The only question is, who decides if you're pretty or handsome? The king gets drunk, fires his wife, gets another one. The queen says no. Esther is beautiful. She gets the position. God can use traits, qualities, or flaws to achieve kingdom ends. I wish I'd underlined kingdom ends. Ends. I want to be honest with you. This is going to sound dismissive. It's going, to, it's going to sound like an assumption, but I want you to understand something. God cares more about his kingdom agenda than he does about yours. Sometimes in order to achieve kingdom agenda, God will allow you to lose your job. Sometimes to achieve kingdom agenda, God will allow you to get a divorce. Now somebody's sitting there, but doesn't God hate divorce? Yes, he does, but God understands he can tell you what to do. 
So if you decide to get divorced, God is so powerful that he will work around the divorce. If you are a product of divorce and people refer to you as you come from a broken home, listen to me. If you are a child of God, you do not come from a broken home. God can use that for good. And so no matter where you're from, what you look like, whether you've got tattoos on your body, whether you've got nail rings in places that you cannot say in public, God can use that for the kingdom. A young lady gets forced to marry a man after spending a night with him, and God says, I can use that. And for five years, this young girl is a wife in the king's palace. She is on rotation with other women. But he claims to love her more than the rest. Ladies and gentlemen, God can use anything. God can use anything. I said God can use anything. Stop waiting to be elected elder or pastor or deacon or women's ministry leader. God can use anything. He can use you wherever you are. These people could not say who they were. She couldn't say she was a Jew. She couldn't pray out loud. In fact, the dude who wrote this book um, didn't even mention God in a single chapter. Because God does not need to be announced to be seen. People got uncomfortable with me last week when I said that uh, Daniel didn't do any spiritual activities. He only did uh, uh, kingdom activities. Uh, people get uncomfortable with that. See, what Christians want to hear an Adventist pastor say is, you should take Bible tracts to the office, and after you're done with the board meeting, just slip on to the CEO and tell him, God loves you, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. There's nowhere where that is required of you. We live in a generation where God needs less preachers and more livers. We live at a time when people have access to the scriptures, but no access to the people of God. And that bothers me. We are uncomfortable in the office. Even when you're the boss, you are uncomfortable even demonstrating that you are Christian. Ladies and gentlemen, God can use you wherever you are. Let's go to the Bible. It was a bit of a struggle for me to decide what chapter or verse to read because... The book of Esther has 10 chapters and it's filled with drama. But I've decided to go with the most popular part. And this is a conversation that takes place between Mordecai and Esther. In fact, it happens between their servants because he must distance himself from her in case it jeopardizes her position in the kingdom. After Esther is chosen as the queen, events shift to another part of the kingdom. King Xerxes has somebody in his palace by the name of Haman who functions as a ruler of some kind. Haman is a man who is filled with pride. Haman is so proud of his position that when Haman moves through the province, everybody must bow down to him in honor of who he was. One day, Haman happens to pass in the place where Mordecai was standing. Remember who Mordecai is. He is the cousin slash stepdaddy of Esther. Everybody bows down to Haman except for Mordecai. Because Mordecai refuses to bow down to a man because he believes in the true God. And so even though he belongs in Persia, he does not become like them. He refuses to bow down. And so somebody tells Haman that there's a Jew by the name Mordecai who has refused to bow down to you. Haman suffering from a sense of entitlement, 
You see, Haman was the type of person, if he had a Twitter account or a TikTok account, if he had 100 comments and 99 were positive and somebody said, ooh, your shirt and trousers don't match, guess which one he focuses on? Haman was upset and his pride was wounded. Haman decides, I'm going to kill Mordecai, but that's not enough. I'm going to kill all of his people. Haman is so upset with the Jews because historically the Jews had exterminated his descendants and this was his opportunity to step up. And so Haman decides that he's going to perform a genocide of every single Jew in the kingdom. Uh, notice, ladies and gentlemen, we've moved away from Esther and we're back into politics. Haman is so angry. Haman is so determined that he goes home. He calculates how much tax will King Xerxes lose by this group of people dying. And he decides he's going to pay that amount of money in order for them to be exterminated. He goes to the king, gets permission for this extermination. If you're with me so far, let me hear you say yes. Sometimes we teach, sometimes we preach. By the time you get to Esther chapter 4, Mordecai has received the news because it has come in the form of a letter and a decree that on any day, a purge is going to happen. That if a Persian citizen kills a Jew, they will not be prosecuted for that act. And when you read the Bible, it says even the Persian people were unsettled by this decree. But Haman, who's entitled has his ego bruised. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care how good you are at your job. I don't care how good you are as a husband or as a wife. I don't care how good you are as a student. There's always somebody who's there to destroy your life. There's always somebody who is there to disrupt you because as much as God blesses people through people, the devil also curses people through people. And so Haman happens to be the hand that is working. God, being God, understood this centuries before. God saw this before it happened. Because God's ideal is, my kingdom business is, Jesus is going to be born out of these people, and if they are exterminated, my call, my responsibility or purpose will not be carried out. And so God begins to work things out. The Bible says in the book of Esther that one day, one night, the night that Haman decided, I'm going to kill every single Jew. The king could not sleep. Xerxes is in his royal chambers, and he cannot sleep. The Bible says he calls his servants. He asks them to bring the royal record. The royal record are all the complaints, events, and future appointments that the king has. And he says to them, read that to me. Maybe the report is so boring, he thinks it will put him to sleep. I don't know. And so they start to read. Your Highness... There's a, a, a governor who has not reported his taxes yet. Okay, look into that, deal with that. Your Highness, we have a visit, a dignitary coming from this particular kingdom on this date. Please mark it in your calendar. Awesome. Your Highness, a few months ago, there was a plot to kill you, and Mordecai got involved and saved your life. Okay, that's fine. Wait, read that again. Yes, Mordecai saved your life because two of your servants wanted to kill you. Okay, did we reward him for doing that? Uh, no, Your Highness, we, we did not do it. Okay, tomorrow morning, get Haman to come and see me. Now we read the text. Esther chapter 4, verses 10 to 17. 10 to 14. Too many verses. Esther 4, verse number 10. I'm reading from the ESV. And it says, 
Mordecai is sharing this news with his cousin. Then Esther spoke to Hatak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside of the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come in to the king for 30 days. The time that Mordecai hears this report, he goes to tell his cousin what Haman is up to. In response, Esther, who's been in the palace for five years, says to him, listen, the way that it works here, if I go to the king and tell him not to do this, I might get killed because I have not been called in 30 days. If the king hasn't called her for 30 days, do you understand what that means? It means that the other wives have been giving the king attention. So for her to show up unannounced would mean she can get killed. Ladies and gentlemen, you do not need soap operas. All you need is the word of God. It's right in there. All the drama you need. And Haman, I'm sorry, Mordecai is not done with her. What Mordecai said to Esther is what I'm going to say to you. If it sounds like a challenge, yes it is. And so they told Mordecai, verse number 12, what Esther had said. And then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I've heard people quote that text, but I've never thought whether they understand what it means. Mordecai says to Esther, little girl, you think because you're the, queen, the king's uh, wife that you will survive. I'm here to tell you that the moment Jews start to get killed, you will die with them. Make no mistake, Esther. People are going to be delivered. Even if you choose not to be the one, God will do it through somebody else. Are you listening to me? If you decide that in a position of authority and power that you have, with the resources that God has given you, with the influence that you have, if you decide, oh no, I'm not gifted enough, let somebody else do it. Somebody else will do it. But because you rejected the offer from God, God will use what you have against you. Are you listening to me this morning? If you refuse for God to use what you have and who you are, we call it privilege. If you can't allow God to use your privilege, guess what? He'll find somebody else. Don't be surprised when non-Christians are the ones who are charitable. Don't be surprised when it's people who are outside, who are helping women with their issues, who are helping children and people on the street, people who are speaking up for the less fortunate while you are quiet, singing, How Great Thou Art. Esther wasn't raised to be a queen. She was raised as a young Jewish girl. So she understood what Haman meant. Notice that God is not mentioned, but she understood the assignment. I want to examine what Haman said, and then I'll let you go. Who knows? Who knows? Nobody knows why you are in the position you have. You see, all we've got to do, ladies and gentlemen, is accept that there are some things we will never know. I'll never know why I've moved from, 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 from Zimbabwe to Botswana to the Philippines to, to Indonesia. I'll, I'll never know. 
I'll never understand why the choice to go to those places. I'll, I'll never know. Sometimes we have to admit that some things we will never know, but at the same time, we must admit that God knows everything. That is what it means to be a believer. And Mordecai didn't say, God put you there. He said, who knows? Maybe you are there for such a time as this. Ignorance is good in sight of God. Ignorance is not the absence of faith. It is the power of faith. Lord, I don't know, but you do. All I'm going to do, I'm going to show up at my job. I'm going to show up for class. I'm going to show up for my kids. I'm going to show up for my family. Do the little things until something great comes around the corner. She was just a wife. She was no Deborah. She was no Mary. She was no uh, Miriam. She was just a girl married to a rich man. That was it. All she did, do you understand what the queen did back then? All the queen did was wake up in the morning. She didn't even shower herself. Somebody gave her a bath. They dressed her, fed her, paraded her. She went to bed. Woke up the next day, process repeat. When dignitaries come, she is paraded back to the palace. The king doesn't visit for a month. One day she gets a knock on the door. That might be my husband. What's up, honey? It's your time this evening. And all of a sudden, she has the life of her people in her hand. There's a, a political issue happening right now around the story of Esther. I know you're not aware of it, but I'm going to let you know that feminism today does not like the story of Esther. Feminism says that Esther is not the good role model for women. All her life, she's been told what to do by her cousin, by the king, by the servants, by the eunuchs, and once again, Mordecai comes and is telling her what to do. I reject that premise. Because in that moment, Esther could have said, hey, cuz, I appreciate that you raised me, but you know what? You do you, I'll do me. There's no way I'm giving up this life that I have, okay? I have a custom carriage being made for me right now. I'm not about to jeopardize the life I have. My Twitter, my Instagram, and my TikTok is popping. I'm the most popular woman in the kingdom. I'm not about to jeopardize that. But no, Esther makes a decision, ladies, that you are called to make every single day. I get it. Sometimes you don't get the job because the guy doesn't think you look that pretty. Sometimes you get the job because of how you look. You get all the, the, the assignments. You get all the, all the contracts and all the projects just because of how you look. You are put on rotation in the hospital or in the law firm. You get the case because of how you look. That's fine. Don't knock that. Don't be like, oh, no, I, I may be the prince, but give it to the ugly girl. Don't do that. Take that opportunity, but make sure you do it to serve God. And don't get it twisted. Even though it was because she was beautiful, she understood that where she was was not just how she looked. She understood that God is working in the background. Who knows? Maybe you've come to the kingdom. The kingdom. Mordecai is talking about Persia. He's talking about the, the, the place where she was in the palace. What is your palace today? What is your kingdom? Where is the place you are in that God has put you? What position do you have at the office? You could be in charge of two people. That means something. You could be in charge of a hundred. You could be running a corporation for all I care. Whatever position you have, you have an opportunity to change things around. Belonging is not always a matter of culture. Sometimes it's about calling. Do you understand? For a, br a brother from the motherland to be standing in front of you, God never called me to this country because I can speak Baasa. He never called me to this country because I understand all the cultural context that exists here. 
God doesn't call you because you understand the culture. God calls you because you have a calling on your life. And sometimes your calling will make you cut across cultural lines. Sometimes God will put you in places where you've got to start reading the bylaws and understanding the language and understanding the law all over again. Why? Because there's something he wants you to do. But if you spend your life hiding, God can do nothing through you. So it's not always about culture. It's about calling. Listen, it's not an excuse for me not to know how to speak Bahasa. I'm just saying. Sometimes it's about calling and not culture. Who knows the time for such a time as this? There are two types of people. I'm done. There are two types of people. Those who wait for opportunities and those who create them. The majority focus on one. Guess which one people focus on? We wait for opportunities. We're always waiting. Right? We, we don't create them. We, we wait for them. We, we never knock on the door. We wait for somebody to come and say, hey, you're good at this. Why don't you try this? What God needs today are Esther's. He needs Esther's and Mordecai's who stand up and say, I know what I'm about to decide or do is going, going to go against me, but I'm going to do it because God has called me to do it. So Mordecai is asking her, go talk to the king. And so she says, fine, I'm going to break the law. If I perish, I perish. This little girl who has privilege decides to use what she said. Esther calls for a fast. Esther calls for a fast in the kingdom for three days. I asked my wife a question last night regarding this text. I said to her, what if some Sally or Susan who was in the kingdom of Shushan, who was a maid, is the one who called for the prayer and the fasting? Were people going to go with her? Can we be honest? If Sally or Susan from down the street said, hey guys, on the, on the group chat, let's fast and pray for three days so that we don't get killed today. Would any, anybody have joined her? No. But the queen has just come out. Hey guys, I'm Jewish. There's a, a call for your murder. I want to go and see the king, so let's fast. And the Bible says, her servants, ladies, surround yourself with girlfriends who are willing to pray and fast with you when you're looking for a husband with somebody, say amen. And so everybody fasts and prays with her for three days. She comes before the king, and that dramatic moment is happening. He lifts up his scepter and says, honey, come on in. Esther goes into the room. She says to him, honey, I would like to hold a feast, and can we invite Haman to the feast? The king calls Haman and says to him, Haman, what would you do if you were going to honor a man who has been good to you? Remember, Haman is proud. He thinks the king is talking about him. He says, oh, king, listen, you make him ride on your horse. You give him your garment to wear so that he can be paraded in the street. And the king says, good, go do that for Mordecai right now. Haman has erected gallows to kill all the Jews, but God has made it so that instead of death, Mordecai gets honored. God is not mentioned once, but God's fingerprints are on it. What is it that you're trying to run from right now? Is it a sickness? Is it a job that you're about to lose? Is it debt? Is the bank about to take the house? What's going on in your life? And you're wondering, Pastor, where's God? God is there. He's moving. He's, he's talking to the bank manager. He's talking to the realtor. He's talking to relatives. He's, he's talking to the government to change the laws. God is doing something. The question is, what are you doing? Esther was fasting and she was praying. And when she spoke to the king, the king said to her, let's do the feast. Haman is there. Mordecai is there. Esther is there. And like any king in the Bible, for some reason, the kings in the Bible were, were very generous with their women. He's like, honey, what would you like? 
And so the queen says, there's only one thing I need. Somebody wants to kill my people. By the way, babe, I'm a Jew, and somebody wants to kill us. Haman begins to sweat. And the king gets upset and says, who is this that wants to kill my wife? And she points at Haman. The king steps aside. He's so upset. And when he comes back, all he sees is Haman has his hands on Esther. Haman is trying to ask the, king, the queen for forgiveness, but the king sees him with his hands on his queen. He gets upset. Haman gets hanged on the very gallows that he erected. Whatever your enemies, your haters are planning against you, I don't know who they are. Maybe you're the hater and you're listening right now. I don't care. All I want you to know, when God's plan is in jeopardy, God will always step in and do something. He will always do something. So your responsibility is don't be afraid because you're the only one. You can belong without becoming. Stay the course. God is up to something. The government can change. The leadership can change. Somebody can resign. Somebody can die. All you got to do is stay the course. This reality show princess saved a whole nation because she believed in God. So I don't care. Lawyer, doctor, CEO, celebrity, whatever you are, God can use it. The king gets drunk. The queen says no. Esther was beautiful. Haman's pride. The king can't sleep. Mordecai saves the king. The king saves the nation. All because a little girl fasted and prayed. We're done. In life, some decisions, some decisions, some choices, some moments matter more than others. I want to be honest with you. God doesn't care what you're going to eat for lunch. Your nutritionist does. Your doctor does. God doesn't care what you're going to wear tomorrow morning. The fashion police do. God doesn't care. Those decisions don't impact the kingdom. But when it comes to decisions that have weight, the things you say, the people around you, those things actually matter. Father, I, I, I want to be like Esther. I want to be like Daniel. I want to be like Joseph. You know, Esther, Esther's not her name. Esther's the name that the Persians gave her. Her name is Hadassah, Hebrew name. But once again, her name was taken, but her identity didn't change. I want to be Esther. I want to be Joseph. I want to be Daniel. If that's you, stand to your feet. It's hard. But I just read to you that while you're afraid of the supervisor or the manager or the owner of the business, God is working in the background. Because one day, the Greeks came and overran the Persians. It always ends. But God's kingdom stands forever. Heads bowed, eyes closed. My God, ooh, I've spoken so much. So many names, so many events, but I pray that your word was heard. I pray that somebody understood that this young lady was in a position not of her choosing, but the choices she made saved a nation. Now, it could be that somebody in here is not being called to save Indonesia or to save their tribe. But Father, you have an assignment for them to do. It sounds boring and routine and same thing every day. Same job, same people, same family, same kids, same spouse, same neighbors. And yet, there always comes a pivotal moment when you call your people to stand up and be counted. I don't know what you're developing somebody in here for. I don't know what position you have them in. Maybe it's as Queen Esther. Maybe it's as a judge like Deborah. Maybe it's a little girl as a servant in Naaman's home all the way in Assyria. I don't know. 
Maybe they're Mary, the mother of Jesus. Maybe it's Miriam, the sister of Moses. I don't know. Maybe it's Abigail. Whoever they are, you have called them to the kingdom for such a time as this. As much as I speak to the young men and young women, I speak to the adults as well. Each of us, from the oldest to the youngest, is on an assignment. Maybe you already know your assignment. Maybe you need God to show you your assignment. Maybe you need God to show you where to do what he has called you to do. Whatever it is, always create the opportunities. Wait for the opportunities, but make sure you are standing in God's presence. Father, I pray, be above us to watch over us. Be beneath us to lift us up when we fall. Be behind us to guide us so that we would never, ever give up. Go ahead of us so that we may never be uh, afraid to follow. Surround us to protect us because the enemy is always on the prowl. But above all things, Lord, be in our hearts so that we can be like Christ and be in the world but not of the world. My brothers and sisters, as I always say, if this is your prayer, let me hear you say amen. And amen. God bless you.